Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning out there. I want to say happy June the 1st to everybody. You know, we're coming up on the official start of summer pretty soon. So, uh, and it's a it's a beautiful day outside, and at least here where I am um, in Tennessee, it's just a beautiful day outside. So, happy June the 1st. And Saturday, this is one of the my favorite days of the week. And I know for a lot of you it is as well. But before we launch in and introduce you to uh, our guest for this morning, I just want to leave this thought with you. The past cannot be changed. The present, the right now, this instant, is yet in your power. And the author that is unknown, the past cannot be changed. The present is yet in your power. And hopefully that's something you will think about as you go through the day and maybe even perhaps as you go through the week. So, again, I want to welcome you to our Saturday, June the 1st show. Thank you, thank you for joining us. And you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. Before we introduce you to our guest this morning, our guest this morning is going to cover a, a book writing genre that I don't know if we've had on off the shelf before. So interested in t- uh, d- diving into his book and some of what inspires his writing and his character development and things like that. But before we get into and introduce to you our guest, I wanted to ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you? I, this was like last night I'm watching Columbo, and uh, my 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 brother loves Monk. So these are stories where you Columbo tells you who did it, but then you try to figure out why they did it, just exactly who all was involved, and it's still a mystery as it unravels. If you love mysteries, and I do, I really think you'll love love pour over me, but even more because every book's not for everybody. But if you also value relationships, soulmate relationships, there's a soulmate relationship between Raymond and Brenda, and they meet in college and love pour over me. And this book takes them through decades. And also there's these four guy friends. One of them makes it uh, big in the NFL. And, of course, Raymond, he's academically gifted and also in track and field. But his childhood is very traumatic. His father is an alcoholic, and he raises Raymond as a single parent. As we all are, Raymond is shaped by his childhood. So what does that do to him with his friends and his soulmate, Brenda? If you value relationships and you love a mystery, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me right now. You can get a copy in ebook format for just three dollars and some change or you can get a print a print book copy. Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. Go get a copy and let me know how you enjoy the book. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest this morning's off the shelf guest is Brian James. And he hails from Michigan. He grew up in a city close to Detroit, you know, the Motor City. Michigan, when I was coming up, was one of those considered a big city with the the automobile industry was just booming back then. And Brian, in college, he majored in history. Throughout his writing career, he has written for Fortune 500 companies, magazines, newspapers, and websites. And he is the author of the book, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but I think it's Mole. Molner or something like that, and he can correct it when he comes on. It's a post-apocalyptic science fiction novel, and in addition to writing, Brian loves the outdoors, especially the beach, so he must be glad to see summer coming. And I encourage you to check Brian out online at northhammer.com, and I'm going to spell that, N-O-R-S-E-H-A-M-M-E-R.com. Again, that's N as in Nancy, O-R-S-E-H-A-M-M-E-R.com, Northhammer.com. Let's give Brian a warm off-the-shelf Books Talk Radio welcome. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Brian. Good morning, and the good weather extends all the way up into here. Okay. It is a nice day today. You know, some parts of the country... Even as I say that, some parts of the country, like I, my family back home in Ohio, a couple of earlier this week, they got hit by a tornado, 
no, no. Thankfully, they're all okay, but there was property damage. And then um, some places are dealing with flooding. But here, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, the weather is nice here, and that hopefully those where they're dealing with significant weather, that they're safe and their insurance is kicking in, and they're getting their property uh, repaired. But to begin, Brian, this the first few questions I want to ask you. I ask every guest. When I started off the shelf, I used to just go right into the questions about the books and other things the writers were doing, and a listener said, no, 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 we want to know a little bit about the guests before you go into those questions. So these first few questions I ask every guest who comes on the show. So to begin, can you please tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Um, grew up in the Detroit area, one of the many suburbs, Um thing about the Detroit area is it's a weird area where the suburbs actually are larger and more influential than the main city. But that's just a tiny little aside. Um, Grew up as a complete nerd. Like most people who enjoy my genre, we grow up reading comic books. We grow up wishing the movies that we see out now were out when we were 12. And we spend hours and hours arguing over the characters, which actually comes into play with the development of the characters here. After, oh, okay. So you... after, excuse me. After high school, I went to college. I went to a Nazarene college, and I majored in history. I wanted to become an archaeologist. And I discovered very quickly that it's a great aim but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of income potential there unless you just go back into being a teacher. Uh, and that's okay. not something I wanted to do. So okay. I started working in the, in the auto started writing. I started working in the auto industry. Um, I've written for the World Poker Tour. I've written for the Detroit Free Press. I've written for a number of websites. And I've written for all three of the big three auto companies. And that's the 30 well, seconds to how we got here. How? Okay, so did first of all, are you from a large family, a small family? Was it, The auto industry was booming when you grew up, so that's why you just thought, well, I automatically will go into that industry. I'm in Detroit. Uh, is, is that how you got into it, or did you really want to get involved with working with cars? I know you liked history, archaeology. It's it's more geographical. It's the thing you fall into because you live in, in Michigan and Detroit. And I started at GM as a tech writer. And at one point, I was writing documents for the paint shop, and they the management realized that no one ever reads this stuff. No one wants to read technical documents about paint. Um, if you do, you've probably got way too much time on your hands. So they asked me <laughs> to write a fun, man, a fun manual. Can you read something that they're going to want to read? Can you, sorry, can you write something they're going to want to read? Which I did. They, they called it the Dirt Book. And it was an interesting manual about contaminations that can happen within the paint shop. And so that's, that got that's how you got yeah. started. You know, who would think to go to General Motors? Wow. And that you, so how did you learn even, I wouldn't even think to apply for a technical writing job with a company like that. How did you even learn about that job? I learned about that from, I had an old high school teacher who always thought I had some writing talent and basically pointed me in the right direction after college. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. When so when you were a child you 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 enjoyed history, you archaeology and I'm thinking Jurassic Park. I keep seeing. I saw that last weekend that's why it's popping in my mind. Archaeology archaeologist historian you end up going in technical writing general motors thanks to some guidance from a teacher. But when you were a, a kid, what did you dream? What was your dream of becoming when you were a kid? What oh, did my you, dream when I grew up? My dream was archaeologist. My dream was discovering ah. ancient cultures. 
and digging through the remains of those cultures. I still remember my, doing uh, my internship down in Mexico, digging on some of the old Mayan ruins. There's just something about touching a carving that someone had done 3,000 years ago. I mean, you're standing where they stood, probably in the place where they're making this piece of art on the pyramid. Yeah, that is fascinating. But are you saying the only way to, you you hear on the news, archaeologists discovered, and so we know that the early humans started, blah, 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 blah. Are you saying that the only way really to, that you make money as an archaeologist is to become a teacher? Don't they, Who are these organizations where they're making these discoveries? That's, don't that's they, where skills come in that, that's where skills come in that they don't teach, and I think they, a lot of them you can't teach. These guys hustle and hustle and hustle for funding for their digs. You have to be not only a brilliant person, you have to be a great salesman. So you have to get people excited about what you want to do to the point where they are going to finance your dick. Oh, okay. And to be okay. honest, that, that was an incredible weakness of mine. Well, let me ask you this. Doesn't the government, I would think the government would want to know. They don't, the government doesn't do any of that funding? There are there are grants there are some grants available from the government, um, depending upon how how big your project is, it may or may not cover the entire thing. You are more likely to get a good grant from someplace like the University of Michigan, who has got incredibly deep pockets, or or very wealthy philanthropists who have got some who've got vested interest in what you're doing. In fact the city of Troy was discovered by a billionaire, not by an archaeologist. That sort of thing. Interesting. See, already you're teaching already you're teaching things, you know, and it's funny, I'm not even gonna get off on that path where colleges and universities get these huge endowments and grants and they have but they keep Swearing that they're broke, and that's why they have to raise your tuition. <laughs> Boy, well, not, to, uh, not to go too far on this tangent, but just think about the money that their sports or their sports departments raise. Think of the money that you know Alabama raises off the football team alone. I don't see how they can scream poverty. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like impossible for you to say you don't have any money. We really don't have any money, and so therefore we need to raise your tuition to keep us sending that same old story out. It's like, nah, some ain't adding up. But um, I, I want to stay on track with the book and and the, and, and get into your, your your writing and your your novels. So, you how far from? I'm curious. How far from Detroit were you? Did you grow up when Motown and the auto industry were thriving? About twenty miles in a small in a smaller city called Warren. Okay. Um, yeah, Detroit back then was. I mean, I, I was coming up in Dayton, Ohio, a small city, and Detroit was considered like that was a big considered a big city. Not so much anymore, although it is coming back. They're starting to rebuild it, but uh, it, it's sad what happened to Detroit. But it was, was you know, terrible. you had your in the '60s, you had your, the Motown and. People think in Detroit that you thought music, soul music, and then the auto industry, General Motors. I mean, that's what people told you. You want to get a job, go work for General Motors. So uh, you you were you like to write. Your English teacher saw something in you when you were in high school. So is yep. that the teacher who inspired you to 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 write to get to start to writing books and novels? Yes, it was. Um, he was a very interesting man. His name was Mr. Kovetsky. He was independently wealthy who only talked because he thought that was what he should be doing. So mm. he would bring in works of art that were priceless to show some of his classes. And he would take an interest in the students beyond just, you got a good test grade, now go away for the day. So even after college, he was still trying to be influential in the students' lives. 
So yes, you know, and then and he didn't have to financially do it. I think that's like total freedom. You really just do what you either think you called here to do, or you just have such a passion passion for it. Now, how do you say that? How do you pronounce the title of your 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 book? Actually, if I was doing this book again, I'd name it something else because no one can make, get – everyone has trouble with the title. It's called Mjolnir. Mjolnir, Mjolnir. Is the name for, Mjolnir is the name for Thor's hammer. Oh, Mjolnir. Is Mjolnir your first novel? <laughs> um, yes and no. This was originally published under the title of Ragnarok, and it was published by a publisher who was <laughs> – less than reputable and I wound up having to pay to get the rights back. Wow. And and then I found a small but reputable publisher who stood behind their authors. Um, they published it under the name Yolner. Um, and it was very well received after that. Oh, good for you. Is this other publisher, are they were they like a startup, a small House is struggling financially. Um, I think they were a scam. Uh, okay. They were called Amer. They were called Ameristar. Uh, you did not have to pay to have them publish your work, but they re- they they had no editing process. Okay. Um, and what I mean by scam is not like an Amway scam. More like a book mill scam. We'll just throw as much crap out there as we have to to make a buck and not put anything into it. So there was no editing. Um, it was a difficult uh, situation. Once again, I had to buy my rights back. Good for you, and I'm glad you were able to. And you know what? That that could almost lead into a whole hour topic itself for um, for writers. Be be careful to our off the shelf listeners. There are printers who can scam you at a just outrageous prices. Do your research. Do your research whether you're freelance writing okay. or publishing. Because there are people out here that as soon as they find out what your dream is, your passion is, they will try to rip you off. They, I mean, they will just tell you, "Oh, you're the greatest. You're the best. You you really you're so talented, and I can help you." And then somewhere along the line, you're giving them money. And um, they just keep feeding you to, to your dream or your passion. Uh, so be careful and do your homework. What's the inspiration, Brian, behind Milner? What, what is, what's the inspiration behind the book? Well, like most comic book fans, I'd sit around with my friends as a kid, and we'd talk about the characters. And because these are these are all Norse gods, who, and the Norse gods not only exist in history, but exist in the comic book world, what, why would they, during the conversation, why would they all become heroes or villains? Wouldn't they become other things in this world? And in the book, I start off with what some of the gods wound up doing with their lives, and none of them are heroes. And when we would be just throwing these ideas around as friends, someone once joked, said, someone should write this down. So I did. In this you know case, what, I have to... Thor, but no, go ahead. I'm saying in this case, Thor. Thor is an incredibly strong person, superhuman by any by any mythological determination. Um, would he go out there saving people, or would he use his power and strength to enrich himself? The myths point him as paint him as kind of selfish. So what I have him as in the book is he starts off as a defensive end for the Oakland Raiders. If he, does he know he, who he is? Does he, Brian? I'm sorry. Does he know? Does he know he, who he really is and the power he has? Does he know, or is he not aware? In the book, he knows. He absolutely oh. knows. The thing is, he's in. I have this in modern times. And at this point in time in his life, he's also become an atheist. So, well, he is a Norse god. He, he used to be married. His wife died. He reasoned that, well, if she can die, are we really gods? But he still okay. wants to be worshipped. 
So what gets worshipped more in our culture than a sports hero? So that's what he does. Uh, okay. Interesting. Okay, so before we go on any further, because I'm not a big science fiction. I, I like all the Avengers, and, <laughs> and, I, and I do like those movies. And, of course, Thor is in there. How did those those gods, Zeus, and all that get started? Who, where did that come from? Out of whose imagination did they, they spring? Gods usually came from something the culture needed. Most gods are a rain god or a sun god. Um, for example, in Greek myth, you've got you've got Zeus, who's more of a rain god, a weather god. Thor is not the top god in the Norse pantheon. The top god is Odin. And this is where it gets kind of freaky from a historical standpoint. They are the only major culture that worships a death god. And Odin is a death god. So at some point, and they built their, they built their culture now around this death god. And that is a lot of the inspiration for the Viking raids that we all know happened in the Dark Ages because they needed to be in a constant state of war to, have, to honor Odin by killing their enemies or have the glorious death they needed to get to Valhalla. Now, who developed this myth? Whoever that person was, his name lost to time, but uh, that's the... That's their mythology. And Brian, I am having some technical issues, so hopefully we can stay on the line uh, and the show stay on. But I have to restart my computer, so I'm 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 working off a of memory right now. Uh, but no this is part of part of radio. Um, so my my next question to you was. If you can just give us an overview then of Milner and tell us a, uh, just a synopsis of the story, please. Milner is a story of the Norse gods living in what the Norse called Ragnarok. Ragnarok is a prophecy where all the gods die, which, by the way, they are the only culture that kills off most of their major gods. Odin does not want to die. He lives in our world and is going to try to get through this prophecy, get through this final war of Ragnarok, not by fighting it with swords and axes, but he took over a defense contracting firm. And his company now produces most of the, most of the military hardware for the Western world. He's going to fight this war with nukes and with planes and with tanks. Thor doesn't believe any of this anymore. He just wants to, he gave up his deity, threw away his hammer, and just wants to live his life. Odin believes that the only, that the final piece to him surviving Ragnarok is to get a hold of Thor's hammer and get control of it because it is a very powerful weapon. Loki, who is anyone who's watched the Avenger movies, they know is the bad guy. Loki is the god of lies, which in our world, he has taken over an Amway-style company and sells cheap products on late-night TV via infomercials. He's also trying to get a hold of the hammer. So what this is is a race between gods to get control of the hammer and therefore win the war at the end of at the end of the world. Now the war of Ragnarok does is a war fought between Loki and Odin. So they're both trying to get a one up on the other. So these characters are the, the characters in Milner they're coming from uh, like characters we would see in the Avengers or comic books. So, so your the the book itself is based off of comic book characters. That's the reason I, it sounds like a, I'm just 
for you to correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to get get find out where did these characters so they the characters these guys they came from comic book writers or do they go back even further? The one I remember the oldest hearing about was Zeus. That was the the one. I mean, he doesn't show up in comic book uh, stories, but that's the one I've heard of the most. Is that where they come from? Spring from comic books, or was there someplace else where these characters originally no, these characters, came from? These characters have existed for almost two thousand years. The comic books oh. borrowed the characters. The comic books just wrote these characters into their stories. And in the case of Marvel, the characters are so different, they may all they pretty much at this point share is a name and a few totems. But these characters have been around as long as there have been people in Europe. Ah. So what caused the earthquake at the start of the story? At the start of the story, there's an earthquake, as you just mentioned, and that is created by a dragon named Jormungand. Jormungand is in the myths, and talking the 2,000-year-old myths, he is called the World Serpent, who has wrapped himself around the world and into the Earth's crust and gets freed at Ragnarok. So he's freeing himself, and that's causing the earthquake. Oh, okay. And then I want to ask you: Is the um, is Thor in Milnor? Is is it is he the same Thor that we see in the Avengers? No, completely different. The one in the Avengers, um, there's a lot of di- they, the Marvel has based their characters on the myths, but they're incredibly different, um, right down to how they look. The Thor that I use in the book is very close to the myths as he is described and how he behaves. I mean, it breaks down little things like the Thor of the Thor of the Avengers is blonde, Thor in the myths is a redhead. There is nowhere that says that only Thor can lift the hammer. In fact, in the myths, the hammer was stolen by a giant and Thor had to trick him and trick this giant into thinking Thor was a woman so he get his hair. So he get his hammer back. Ah. Okay. So they they've kind of um, changed the story uh, a little bit, and 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 that that happens, and maybe that keeps the interest for the reader who's familiar with the maybe an original story that we're going to change it a little bit, so you can see be interested in seeing what we do with the story. Where did the power, where the hammer's power, come from? Where did that come from? The hammer's power come, came in, it, it was created by an elf. And the elves, imbue, it was created by elves along with a couple other items. Uh, Odin's spear was created by an elf at the same time as this hammer. And Baldar's boat was created along at the same time as this hammer. And all three, the elves gave all three of these items an incredible amount of power. Now, I kind of uh, do a nod to Marvel and their only Thor can lift the hammer aspect of it in the book by it's not that only Thor can lift the hammer. It's Thor has been using this hammer for so long. It's a magical hammer. And he has taken so many lives with it that it's become a low-level intelligence unto itself. So in my book, the ha- Thor is the only one the hammer likes. So it's the only person he'll allow to lift him. Like a pet. Also, oh, oh, this, ha- this hammer has a personality? Yep, personality and kind of low-level intelligence. Think of a really good dog. Oh, okay. Hello? I'm still here. And that's oh, so he's like a, that's, the ham. The hammer is like it has a personality. It's like a like you said, like a like a pet, almost. Yep. And that go, and that goes into and that also fits in with myths of other cultures where weapons absorb souls as they kill as they kill people. 
and that's where it, that's where it gets its personality, its intelligence. It's just taken so many lives and taken so many souls. It's become self-aware almost. Oh, wow! <laughs> Interesting. I mean, you have to be like a science fiction lover and let your mind really go to understand this type of, of, of a story. Where was Thor born? Is he like an eternal being? Where was he born? What were what were his parents like? And how did he get to America? Did they just decide, oh, I'm going to America, or, oh, I'm going to this other planet? Did they just make these decisions on their own? In this case, yes. Thor was born in Asgard thousands of years ago. But America is the, I don't want to say the cultural, the cultural nexus of the world, but it's definitely the financial one. So if you want to be a star, if you want to be rich, if you want to be influential, this is probably the place you want to be at the moment. And in Thor's case, he, wanted, he didn't want to be a god anymore, but he wanted to be worshipped. So once again, he, he becomes, he plays in the NFL, and we all know the treatment that sports celebrities get in this country. So he is definitely worshipped. Okay, so he got he got what he uh, he got what he wanted. So he he does have power then, but he's not the only thing with this. The only thing with these the stories like the Avengers. They, they, of course, like you said, they're gods who decide I want to do good or I want to do bad. Some other humans who I'm going to use my thought, power, energy to do good things. I'm going to use it to do bad things. It's it's really, they just seem like they have more power than we do. That uh, That's the way it, it comes to be. That might not be the case, but they literally get. So there, let me ask you this. In this Thor and this, in the Molnar, does any is is there any because even in these like Avengers or some of these movies there was one I saw recently was Aquaman. It seems like there's one a government that rules rules it all that will only allow so much to happen. Is this what goes on in Mil, Milnar or no? Every each each guy makes their own decision. There's no governing body. There's none that says we won't allow this. There's really no governing body. Um. If you cross, Odin is still the top god. If you cross him, he may come down on you, as Thor finds out in the book. Um, and they are much more powerful than we are. In this case, Thor is playing football. He doesn't care about the fact, he doesn't care about being fair, because this is a god playing a game against insects in, in his mind. But there is no governing body. Ah, so they just okay. go and do as they please. Wow, you know what? Chaos. <laughs> and that's how we get to something like the Avengers. Chaos, there's no boundaries, just go for it. Take your energy and do whatever you want to with it. Who who exactly. is Freya? Freya is the Norse goddess of love. In the book she is a little, she's a, it's just a surprise with her because when I start writing, I map everything out and I map out every chapter and it's like a, it's like a spreadsheet. And then I start writing and sometimes it goes off the rails because Thor is supposed to be the star of the show. He is the God most recognizable. Freya turns out being my star. She just almost had a personality of her own while I'm writing her. And in a way, and I know it sounds weird, took over the book. But she is the Norse goddess of love. Um, her life is a tad less successful than the others, shall I say. She winds up going into the adult arts because that's how she made her living back in the mythological days. She, um, for example, she has a couple thousand years ago, she got an item called the Necklace of the Brising. It's an elven-made, incredibly beautiful piece of jewelry, but that was her first act of prostitution. So she just carries that over into the modern day. But it was surprising that she wound up being my star. 
What is her relationship to Thor? She was looking for a guardian. And because she got into some trouble, she's looking for someone to protect her. And she winds up having to protect him. Ah, interesting. Can you describe Planet Milner for us? And does Thor spend any time there in the book? There is a Planet Milner. There's there's no plan. There's no Planet Milner. Oh, uh, okay. So Thor, okay, t- tell me again where he comes, where does he come from, and does he spend any time there in the book? Okay, he he comes from Asgard. Asgard is the home of the Norse gods, which is supposedly connected to the Earth via a rainbow bridge. Um, people who watch Marvel movies, they they may, they maintain that part of the myth. He never goes back there in this book. None of the gods ever go back to their ancestral home because Earth is supposed to be the final, for some of them, this is supposed to be the final battleground. And for others, this is just the place where they get worshipped. If they go home, no one worships them. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I almost say before you watch the Avengers, you should read your book. It's like, this is so crazy. It's just to, to listen and, to you. Um, so he go, thing, he never he goes. Did, no, he never goes home. Well, worship is like crack to these people. This is what they're addicted to. Oh. Okay. Can you describe some of the different beings who live who who live on the planet that Thor is from? And is Thor? Are Thor and Freya the only ones from this planet and Earth at this time, or are there other gods that 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 humans don't even know that they're a god from another planet? Um, they, people do not know they're here. Um, there are many many of them here because the entire North Pantheon is it's a it's a large collection of gods is now on Earth. Um, the ones that are mentioned in the book are Thor, Freya, Odin, Loki, um, Baldar. Now, Baldar, he died in one of the earlier myths and went to hell. Their hell is different than our hell. Uh, their hell is basically just a, a place of waiting. Think of dying going to the DMV. You just sit around and it's not that bad. It's not that good either. He escapes and makes it back to Earth. Because in the myths, hell is in the center of the earth. Um, there's an, also another character named Idun. The reason the, the gods can live this long and be this young is because she grows what are called at, she She is the keeper of what are called, in the myths, apples that the gods all eat to stay young. And in the book, she owns the day spa. This is so, oh, my God. (laughs) I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know who came up. You said 2,000 years ago. I don't know who came up with these gods, but you said the the cultures had a need for them. I guess when things happened that we didn't understand, but I'm not sure, but it makes me wonder, okay, would, would it not be crazy if, these beings were walking around, and you just didn't know it. You you just thought it was just a like Thor, a football player. He's just a great football player. He's just a great athlete. How many dimensions are there, or like the planet that Thor is from? How many are there, and how did each of these dimensions? Do you go into? Because Thor spends all his time here on Earth, but in any of your writings, do you go into how? even one of these dimensions came to be? Uh, yeah, there are actually nine of them. And at the very beginning of the book, there's a whole section, which if you don't know, know it, it was put there at the publisher's suggestion. It's, um, he asked me, can you write something that is basically a 
five to ten page um, explanation of of the whole North Smith North and there so we go into that and there are nine there are nine different dimensions in their in their view the universe is a tree called Erdrazil and the nine different worlds hang off of the tree and so each world has got You've got the world of dark elves. You've got the world of light elves. You've got the world of the of the gods, Asgard. You've got the world of the Vanir. You've got the world of the giants. You've got the world of the fire giants. You've got the world. You've got hell. You've got Niflheim. So that's how they saw their world as a tree with nine worlds hanging from it. So there's no ultimate God then in these in this world. No, Odin is supposedly the top of the pyramid when it comes to the gods of that particular world, Asgard. Uh, there are other characters in the myths that rival him in power. So there is a fire giant named Surt, who is amazingly powerful, as myths are written. So there is no, you could argue there is no one top god. This would be like throwing all of the, all of the top gods in our cultures together in one, in a, in one room and telling them to fight, seeing who comes out on top. Wow. So it almost is like there's no purpose to, is, I mean, this is science fiction. There's no purpose you know, when you watch a story, here at Avengers, it's just the good gods want to keep the peace, and the bad guys just want power. They just want that. They just want total power. So they're willing to fight just to have all, all of the power. They don't care what it what it takes to get that. They want it. Anything that's powerful, they want it because they want all, all the power. So Thor did Thor. He wants to be worshipped, but did he? Was he ever addicted? To power or no, he just wants to be worshipped. He's never really addicted to power. He think of him as a frat boy who never grows up. He wants a good time. Um, Thor was about all the carnal pleasures. You know, he's a drinker. He's a carouser. He he likes fighting. He likes killing things. And I think in the Avengers, this, they show you more. In the, I don't want to keep talking about the Avengers, but the Avengers in game, oh, it kind of shows that he kind of went too far. And he, in, in that one, he's just like really, really over the edge. And <laughs> that, and that. So it makes sense now. When you're saying this, I can see the connection between what Thor is like. Why did you pick him? As your as your main character for the story, why why Thor? Always liked Thor as a kid. Read the comic books, um, read all the myths. Just it for me, it worked. And, and that's why it was weird when well, he is the stated main character. He did not wind up being the star of the show here. Ah so yes, Miss the, the uh, Miss Freya Ms. took Freya. over. Yes, how are the gods able to exist? They've got so much power. How can they exist on Earth, <coughs> Earth and not be detected? <coughs> well, in Thor's case, it would be kind of tough not to detect it. Most at, at the end, most of the teammates said they figured something something was going on with him. Um, people like Freya just melt into society. She gets paid several thousand dollars an hour for her services. Odin sits there in a boardroom. No one really sees him. Um, Loki is just a cheesy pitch man on TV who runs an Amway-style company. So outside of Thor, who is, not, who is being a little more obvious, 
everyone just else just melted into society. Mm, but they got all this power. They must really be subduing themselves. I just it's just uh, that to have all that power and to just fit in is is kind of amazing how they would do that or that they would even want to. Now, did you research about science, other planets, uh, and the potential about other dimensions before you wrote yep. Milner? Yes, I did. I researched that. Also, I researched things you could do with light because Baldar oh. is a god of light. Baldar is a god of light. And if if all he could do with his powers is create a light show, how powerful is he really? So I started researching things you could do with light, and which gave him an interesting edge to what he could do. So what are what are what are what are some two or three things when you did your research on what you can do with light that really either surprised or shocked you that made you say, "Wow"? Theoretically, you can make it solid. Um, you could reflect. You could refract light around yourself and make yourself invisible. Oh. So he and he uses and he uses that a few times just to walk around undetected. You know, wait a minute, let's go back. What was the first thing you said? You can make with the light? Theoretically you can make it solid. You pack the photons tight you pack the photons tightly enough together it could theoretically become solid. How could you make yourself invisible? Could a person, a human, really do that scientifically? Would you believe the military has been experimenting with this for decades? Bending wow. light around around items to make them to make them invisible? That's pretty amazing. So what's something else that you, when you were doing the research, that you said, oh, my goodness? Oh, tons of things, especially going back into the old, really into the old myths. You start to see where religions start to collide with each other. For example, um, Odin, in the myths, this never makes it to the book, but Odin hangs on a tree for three days and dies on the tree and then comes back to life. That's obviously a collision with Christianity. So now you're watching the influence of other cultures making their way into their mythology. I found it incredibly telling that they were the only religion that worshipped the death god as their primary god. That explained a lot of a lot of the aggression against the entire world, or the world that they knew during the during the Dark Ages. I mean, going way back, um, I learned that there was contact between Norse cultures and the Romans. So yeah, just the research. Did a lot of it. Found a lot, a lot of interesting things. I bet you did. Now these cultures you said go back how far? Two or three thousand years? At least. Okay. Now, do you see a, a, a connection? When I'm, I'm thinking about movies, like, and this is not a science fiction movie. I Robot, uh, Star Wars. I remember when Star Wars first came out. I thought, wow, you just really let your mind go. And Star Wars, you know, it still just took off. But do you see a connection between science fiction and some of the things that are actually happening in our world today, like artificial intelligence, what we're using robots to do, and that's just beginning to ramp up? Oh, definitely. I mean, if you go back to um, old Star Trek Next Generation episodes, they're using iPads. They're, they're, uh, oh. they're doing things. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think these science fiction writers come up with ideas and inventors later on say, that's really cool. Let's make one. Yeah, you wonder these sci-fi writers might be a little ahead of their time. 
I, I sometimes think they just see things that way before uh, other people see it. Will there be a sequel to Milnar? Did you leave it? Is it going to be a series? Is there going to be another Milnar coming? Eventually, there'll be there'll be another one to this. Um, it was a, it was a one off, and then there was I I'm not quite sure if you know the name, but um, in fantasy circles, he's a god unto himself. A gentleman named Piers Anthony. No. He, a, he he read the book. For let let's say that in the fan, in the science fiction fantasy, he's Stephen King. Oh, okay. So. I got him to read the book, and before it got reviewed, his people made sure to tell me that he's going to review this. He is going to, I mean, you're asking him to review. If he doesn't like it, he's going to say so everywhere. Oh. He still <laughs> want to do this. Yeah. And he gave it a positive review. After that, it kind of it kind of took off, which means that there has to be a sequel at some point. Mm. So, I've got two other projects going right now. So the sequel to this will be after those two. Oh my God! Congratulations, first of all. So you kind of launched into my next question. Besides this great, this uh, uh, very influential author giving you a thumbs up for Milnor. What have other readers been saying about Milnor? Overall, it's gotten a pretty positive, uh, pretty positive, um, pretty positive reviews, pretty positive feedback. the o- The only the only negatives I've gotten has been there's a little too much on the humor side that takes away from from other bits of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it sounds like a very interesting story, and that if you you could just maybe you do see some of those connections, like when you said you studied light, and so uh, the things you learned from that, that the reader, if you incorporate it in the book, the reader might be interested in researching more on it and learn more themselves. Did you find an editor? Is can you use when you're working with? You're a science fiction writer, especially for off-the-shelf listeners who might want to try their hand at science fiction for the first time. What tips would you advise as far as finding an editor? Can any editor, uh, you know, work with science fiction, or do they? Uh, does an editor have to have a special focus to edit a science fiction novel? I I would find one who's interested in science fiction. In fact, an, an excellent resource for this is there's the Authors Guild. But, I, for example, on my next one, I've got a short story coming out. Well, not a short story, but there's an anthology coming out in October about the Marine Corps. And I'm writing a story that goes in there. And I would, and this is a sci-fi fantasy story. I would not want a romance editor editing that story because it's not something they're interested in. Ideally, you want somebody who is going to not only edit the work, but be interested enough to be able to shape parts of the work. Because an editor just doesn't correct your your grammatical mistakes. An editor is going to be looking at continuity. An editor may be making suggestions on things that are in the story that may or may not work. No, agreed, and I appreciate that that tip you shared. Where uh, the resource that off-the-shelf listeners who are interested in writing science fiction could turn to to find a good sci-fi editor. Could Milnor become a new Avengers movie? Why or why not? Uh, couldn't become an Avengers movie because, well, too many rights issues. Unless the unless Marvel unless Marvel wanted to buy the rights and shoehorn this somehow into their stories, which I would find very difficult. Um, The publisher that I am working on the anthology with also works with a number of Netflix producers who are, I'll be talking to some of them next week about possibly doing Mjolnir as 
a short series, or a movie. Oh, congratulations. I'm I'm praying and hoping the very best for you. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Can you share, now you reached out to this influential writer. You said, I'm willing to roll the dice. If he doesn't like the book and it, that goes everywhere, so be it, because I'm willing to take the risk that he will like it and that message go everywhere as well. Beyond that, can you share three to four steps you've taken that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Um, number one is reaching out to podcasts like yourself. Don't. Okay. There are so many services out there that says for $5,000, we can get you on MSNBC in the morning. We can get you on Fox News in the morning. Now, I don't know if they actually can or not, but my research says that the, that the podcast audience most of them are more likely to read. So that's the first thing I would say. Reach out to podcasts. Okay. And I and that has been very successful for me. Okay. Second, we we had touched on this before. Re, research your editor. And make sure you edit your submissions before sending them off to a publisher because you're going to send it off to a publisher. It is not going to be professionally edited. It's not going to, they're not going to get past page one or two. Mm. And the biggest thing I can say right now is find a publisher who will stand behind your work. Ah, uh, okay. If you're yeah, out you there alone, want... it's difficult. This is a partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would would agree with that. So that would be like just uh, publishing it yourself. And well, you have to market either way. But if your publisher just publishes the book and walks off, <laughs> right? You, and, it might be. And that goes back to the editor. Because let's say I wrote a great book that was just a typo a mess of typos and continuity errors. That's going to get ferreted out very quickly in the early reviews. And no matter how many podcasts I do, no matter how many interviews I do, no matter how much advertising I do, it's never going to get past. That's that's going to be the impression. This guy can't spell and. Uh, yeah, you uh, agreed, agreed. So podcast, pick a good editor, work with a publisher who uh, really is going to support you and stand by your work. Uh, yep. Do you any social media marketing tips that you would share with off-the-shelf listeners? Um, use social media, but don't put a lot of money into it. Um, I that did not really work that we did not get a lot of return off of Facebook as far as purchases. Usually, and these are things that are very easily tracked because most of the sales are going to happen in Amazon. So you can very quickly see what your, what your advertising, like for example, I will check sales rank uh, for a couple days after this airs and see what it does to sales rank. So it's real-time, I can see results in real time. If I do a blast on Facebook and Twitter, I can see the results that that day. How many people clicked on that? How many people went to the website? Did they purchase from Amazon? And so, yes, I'd use social media, but I wouldn't think a lot of money. Okay, and and before we close, we j- just got a few minutes left. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of Milner and your other books? Um, anywhere they sell books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Walmart, uh, iTunes. Yep, anywhere there's a anywhere that someone's selling a book, you can find me. Okay. We are. We have been delighted to have with us here mm-hmm. on Off the Shelf this morning, Brian James. He's the author of the book Milner. I'm gonna spell that 
for you guys. It's M J O L N I R. Again, M is in mother, J O L N I R. Milner doesn't spell the way it sounds. M J O L N I R. If you're looking for the book, if you look for it by the way it sounds, you guys might not find it, but it's M J O L N I R, and it's by Brian James. His website is NorseHammer.com. N O R S E H A M M E R dot com. We want to thank Brian James for being here with us this morning, and thank each of you, our off-the-shelf listeners. As I always tell you, you guys are incredible. You're awesome. You're amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Please, please, please mark your calendar. Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, New York City time. You're going to tune in to Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Brian. I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Bye.